This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It was like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Hey, hey, it's GMAC along with Doug Brown. We are back from the bye week. It's too bad the Winnipeg Blue Bombers didn't get the notice. It is the Blue Bomber podcast. Thanks for downloading, sharing, subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. It'll be Bombers first and goal at the Alouette one-yard line. I think the obvious play here is just to have Strebler in that middle wedge sneak it in. Power football. Very effective for him. And that's what he does. And did he get in? Yes, touchdown Blue Bombers. Chris Strebler on the quarterback sneak. That's his 10th touchdown of the year. And the Bombers open again, Doug, with a long time-consuming drive, almost six minutes. Second down and eight, Blue Bombers. At the 13 of Montreal from left half, Strebler, blitz coming. Strebler into the end zone, Darvin Adams, touchdown. The defender fell down, and Darvin Adams was all alone for the touchdown. Vernon Adams from left half, shotgun, stand back to his left. And he'll give it to stand back. Oh, Adams is keeping it, and he's in for the touchdown. Vernon Adams kept the ball on a little play fake. All right, first and goal at the one. Here's Strebler diving in for the touchdown, and the Bombers go in front 27 to 10, second down and seven. A three-yard gain by Steinbach. The ball at the Montreal 29-yard line. And Adams is going to get sacked. He fumbled the ball. It's recovered by Kyrie Wilson, and he's got a touchdown. Craig Rowe got through to sack Vernon Adams. And the ball was scooped up by Kyrie Wilson, and he was in the end zone just like that. 22 seconds left in the half. First and 10 Owls at the Bomber, 19. And Adams throws it. Well, he into the corner of the end zone, and that's a touchdown for Montreal. 2.28 left, and the clock will start when play is whistled in here. Adams back to pass again. And down to the corner of the end zone, and it's a touchdown for Devier Posey. Adams back to pass. Into the end zone, Winnicky, touchdown! Greg Mackling, Doug Brown, and Doug, as I asked you on the start this morning, I'm going to start the podcast the exact same way. What the hell was that? <laughs> Records were broken, uh, not in a good way. Anytime you get that that little, uh, you know, you get a snippet of fact sheets about after the game, and you see all these records being broken, and you're like, "Hang on a second, this team lost," and, and you find out not necessarily a good thing. Biggest lead ever surrendered in the fourth quarter, or since 1930, um, and uh, the greatest comeback ever by the Montreal Alouettes. So. I think the most disturbing thing about this game was just the contrast between the two halves. I mean, that was, in my mind, the best first half of football I've seen the Winnipeg Blue Bombers play in, I don't know, 20 years? I mean, that, that, was, that was incredible. They were uh, rolling on all cylinders. All phases were playing very well. Montreal 
just uh, they looked like they were outclassed. Uh, they were about three steps behind. It was uh, it was embarrassing for them, really. Whenever you have a scenario like that where it's um, a game where you know there were too many games within that game, and that's what we said this morning. It was literally like they went into halftime and they just switched jerseys and dressing rooms with the Alouettes because as dominant as they were in that first half, Montreal was then some and even more in in the second half and especially that fourth quarter we talked about uh surrendering almost 250 passing yards in one quarter obviously if you could do that in four quarters of a game you would smash every single passing record in the history of canadian football so uh surrendering a 21 point lead in the fourth uh a 24 point lead uh, at one point, it was just, uh, it was incredible. You just couldn't believe a team. It's one thing if you're a bad football team and you're just bad every snap and every quarter and some quarters, yeah, maybe you're less bad, but for the most part, you're bad. This team was outstanding in the first half. And uh, and then they were just abysmal. It was uh, It was horrendous how badly they fell off of, you know, how they lost focus, how they were no longer able to execute. It was horrendous. Doug, we saw a little bit of this, obviously in the in the Toronto game in Toronto when the Argonauts came back to beat the Blue Bombers in a fourth quarter comeback. But we saw a little bit of that also when the Bombers beat the Argonauts 48-21 July 12th. And there have been a couple of other games when the Bombers have run out to a big lead at halftime. And we've kind of said, hey, it's okay. They were in cruise control and gave up considerable passing yards in the second half. In retrospect, we look back on those games and go, geez, maybe it would have been a good idea for them to had more of a concerted effort to lock things down in the second half um, to prevent things like what happened on Saturday in Montreal. Well, we we talked about it all the time how it's the most difficult thing in, to do in football is to manufacture, to fake intensity or urgency, right, when the scoreboard doesn't say so. But eventually you come out of that, right? Eventually, guess what? Uh, it, it might not have been imperative. It might not have been urgent right away. There might not have been the same intensity when you're up by 24. But when you're up by 6... You know, these are the standard times where, you know, very good football teams that you can rely on that are consistent, they snap out of it and they're like, oh, and that was our expectation after Jeff Hecht had that final interception. We're like, thank God, finally, they're going to have this under control. They made a play defensively. They got the ball back. Here comes the offense. The offense always responds well to a positive play by the defense. They always feed off of that. Couldn't do anything with the football, right? That that was the difference between those scenarios where, yeah, they got out to such a big lead. You know, it was just human nature to take your foot off the pedal to an extent. But the difference between those games and this game is that they just never woke up again. You know, they're, this is, talking about, you can take a nap in the middle of a game and then boom, okay, guys, guess what? It's time to wake up here. This was straight comatose in, in, in the second half and especially the fourth quarter. There was nothing... Uh, that could be done by by this football team as great as they executed as magnificent as they were those first two quarters uh, they were equally as bad on the inverse in in the second half of this game 
The Blue Bombers scored 34 points in that first half, including touchdowns on their first four possessions. But when you look back on the on the statistics, and I know sometimes statistics lie, Chris Trevler uh, threw for 180 yards, 19 of 22. So uh, his completion percentage, 86.4%, super impressive. Darvin Adams with the longest completion of the game on that razzle-dazzle play out of the Wildcat formation, the direct uh, snap, and then the throw down to, uh, to Andrew, Harris. Andrew Harris. On second and, and so, short, yeah. Right, so clearly this game... In the first half, you talk about this uh, this tale of, of two games of two halves, but what is overall wrong with this offense in that second half? Or is it just a running theme through several games? Like, What's going on here? Because for as good as Chris Strebler has performed at different times, for as incredible as Andrew Harris has been throughout the season when he's in the, in the lineup, there's still something missing at times, and, and we really saw it. In that second half, Saturday. I think they're just running out of ideas. I think they're fantastic when they're prescripted. I think they're great when they're able to study tape and come up with a game plan. But then they execute that game plan, and, and the game's half over, and they don't have anything left. And I also think what happens is when Chris Strebler throws an interception, everybody panics, and they're like, "Oh no, he's gonna he's gonna lose this game for us, and he, we can't have him." Uh, throwing the ball anymore and and you know it's an overreaction I think it's a panic I think it's a knee-jerk reaction and they overcorrect Uh, I think they get paranoid and worried that oh we can't put the ball in the air now this is going to get away from us and Chris Strebler is going to regress to one of those games where he costs us uh, an opportunity to win by 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 turning it over so many times and they just go they make a right turn they make a right turn from from having any sort of balance or aerial attack and I think that, in conjunction with the fact that you know the the plays aren't scripted anymore, they aren't uh, you know based off of their film study going forward. I just think I don't know an inability uh, to make adjustments, an inability to understand what the game uh, dictates now, or to uh, uh, really uh, uh, outside of uh, adjusting and, and reacting accordingly to to what circumstances and, and what is uh, actually going down in the football game. Yeah, and is it adjustments to the adjustments the other teams have made or reactions to those adjustments? Well, that's you always a problem. Both, yeah, that's right, always... You use both words there. And so I, I'm curious as to what, what aspect of uh, lack of adjustments uh, is taking place here. The, the problem at halftime always when you're up by a lot of points how do you come in and say, let's do something different? That's just it. And you have to anticipate that obviously they're not going to let you do the same things that you had. I mean, uh, one of the best plays in the first half of this game was it was the QB sneak, you know, right. on, on second or third and short. And Chris Strebler off that left edge. They were just out flanking them and there was mm-hmm. nobody there setting the edge uh, from the Alouettes. And obviously you're not going to be able to do that anymore. You're not going to be able to just get to the edge and get north and south and like every single opportunity you have. So you have to anticipate, I think, at halftime that a lot of the success you've had in that first half, you're going to have to evolve from that. You're going to have to change up from that because, you know, what they're doing is figuring out where it all got away from them in the first two quarters. And, and they're going to do their best. Like any team with any 
gumption is going to is going to make things more difficult in that regard for you but the temptation is to pat yourself on the back at halftime and and hand out the orange slices and say wow we're really good and we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and i i think the biggest problem is there was no anticipation that you know the things would have to change in order they would have to change a game plan in order to react to that counter from montreal okay we've got a big question to ask you about before we wrap up uh, our conversation uh, but I want to ask you two other things first. The defense. I've been defending this defense all over town. I've been de- defending it all over Twitter. And whoever will have a conversation with me and listen to this idea that this Blue Bomber defense is as good a defensive as we've seen in a long time, they really let everybody down on Saturday. And, and I think there's no other way to put it unless you can convince me otherwise. Yeah. I mean, they surrendered almost 500 yards through the air. And I think what happened was once the pressure stopped getting home, uh, once the guys got tired of chasing Vernon Adams around the football field, um, he was extending plays and uh, they got exposed. Right. I, I think the, this game in a nutshell, in terms of secondary play where the receivers from Montreal you know, they can't cover them. These guys were too good. They were too fast. Um, they were too athletic. They were able to get separation. They were able to get behind them. They were able to confuse them. Uh, they won their jump balls. And Adams obviously got in a real rhythm and, and groove and was on the same page. Basically, they got to a point in that game. They said, let's abandon. Who cares about the, the ground game? Let's just go vertical and let's just attack with our receiving core and uh, the bomber secondary just got outclassed in that regard, especially when there was no pressure. When you know Adams was able to buy the time that he needed for these things to develop downfield, there was no answer from the bombers for that. And that's why I was like, "Is this team gassed? What happened to the pass rush? These guys are getting isolated out there. They're on an island. They were getting confused. They were chasing their tails. Guys had separation from them. The the coverage was falling off, left, right, and center. So." Uh, there was a, you know, I think in conjunction with the lack of that pass rush, I think they got exposed on the back end as guys that could not run with this receiving core for Montreal. I mean, it was, that's how they changed their game plan. They said, let's stop throwing away downs, trying to run the ball on this football team. Let's just put it up in the air. And that's what circumstances dictated to Montreal. They were so far behind, they had to open things up. And, uh, you know, it looks like that's the way you beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is you put that ball up and you have your guys go get it because, uh, you know, this is not the kind of secondary that that used to live for these kind of situations where they could go make their money and get their, their picks and interceptions. The supposed, according to Vernon Adams Jr., the quarterback of the Alouette, supposed best running back in the CFL, William Standback, had two yards rushing on five carries against the Blue Bombers. And we've seen this over and over again this year, Doug. Teams cannot run against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Some quarterbacks have had the occasional bit of success in taking off with the football, but the rushing game is essentially a non-starter. Is that the trade-off that we see with the Blue Bombers? Could we, if, if we transfer, if we could put 100 yards of rushing in the bank for every other team, could we conceivably take 100 yards passing off these gaudy totals. Uh, Teams seem to be ringing up against the Blue Bombers. I'm really having a hard time sorting this out in my head, how a team that 
that has really done some terrific things on defense in terms of limiting points scored in particular can give up such gaudy numbers, particularly passing, uh, when overall you would have a hard time, in my mind, suggesting they're a poor defense. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, football teams run the ball, um, not necessarily because it's the best way to score, but you they want to, teams want to stay multidimensional. They want to keep you from being able to just attack and pass rush and put, pin your ears back and get after it and get upfield and get vertical and attack their quarterback. They want you to have to hesitate about that because if you're taking a giant first step, you get walled, you get gashed on the on the run. And uh, having to play the run, you know, for your front is a, a very different mindset than than pass rushing. Problem in this game was uh, they were one dimensional, but because of Vernon Adams and his escapability, his fleetness of foot, his ability to extend plays, get outside the pocket, uh, improvise, they weren't getting to him. They, you know, as the game went on, uh, they had less and less pressure on him. Uh, he didn't get rattled. He didn't get hit a lot. He didn't get sacked a lot. He was able to make plays with his legs. So everyone knew Montreal was going to be throwing the ball. Everyone knew they were one-dimensional, but the bomber pass rush couldn't really do anything about it. They weren't able to get there with added pressure. They weren't able to get there with the front four. Usually that's what they look for when you are able to stop the run. You're like, great, we know exactly what you're going to do, and and here we come, try and stop us. But guys weren't getting home. You know, they were winning a lot of their battles. They, you know, it wasn't like they all got stonewalled on the line of scrimmage by the Montreal offensive line. They were winning a lot of these battles, but they weren't getting to Vernon Adams, right? Vernon Adams was rolling out. He was escaping. He was stepping up. He was extending. He was just buying his guys time downfield. And and when you're not hitting him, when you're not keeping him in the pocket, which they weren't able to do, then they got exposed in the secondary. You mentioned Lapo's name. I haven't heard you mention Richie Hall's name. Well, that's that's what he's responsible for, right? I, I've said to him, blue in the face, I don't think the Richie Hall has a very good uh, blitzing football team. They've had their moments for sure, but uh, this quarterback was uh, a special case of circumstances for this defense that they certainly could not contend with. They didn't know what to do once they'd eliminated the run, and yet they still couldn't get pressure on this guy. They still couldn't get to this guy. They had time now for their routes to get vertical for them to develop in the back end, and uh, they couldn't do anything about it. So that's uh, you know that was the Achilles heel of Richie Hall's defense against the Montreal Alouettes is what happens when you know what they're going to do and you still can't stop them. It's kind of like the, the, the opposite of, of the Winnipeg Football Club running game. Everyone knows how critical a component is. Uh, for the football team in the offense that they're running their ground game is both for their quarterback and Andrew Harris. But guess what? Most teams can't do anything about it in this game. Uh, it was, Hey, this is what we're doing and you can't do anything about it. And that's where Richie Hall's defense fell flat in this game is that everyone knew exactly what was happening and they just couldn't stop it. They couldn't get the pressure there. They couldn't affect Vernon Adams and they couldn't cover anybody deep down the field. And they just got absolutely shredded. We haven't mentioned special teams, and, uh, you know, it's been muttered uh, amongst people in, in, in my circle. Austin Medlock missed his first convert in 104 attempts in Montreal. He hit two uprights. One went in, one did not go in. What's up with that, and 
what's up with the special teams? Is there yeah, I'm, I'm less concerned concern? about that. I mean, that's going to, when you, when you have a record or a streak going on like that, I mean, eventually you are going to miss. So I have a hard time coming down on Justin Medlock for not being perfect. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the, the kicks, the field goals he missed, he hit an upright and it was 54 yards or something like that. It was, it was not an easy kick. He certainly had the leg for it and he just caught, he caught the post and, uh, it kicked out instead of falling through. So, I don't have uh, really. I, I think the special teams uh, currently, as things sit for Winnipeg, I think they're the least of this football team's problems right now in terms of where they have to reset, regroup, and reboot for Hamilton coming to town on Friday. So, was this the worst loss ever? <laughs> um, I mean, in, in terms of uh, a regular season game, in terms of, uh, you know, how you could go from playing so well to so bad. I mean, you had the two, I think your variance in this game, your two extremes from outstanding football to atrocious football. I don't think anyone's ever seen anything like that before to be able to execute and hit on everything and to be so successful to completely flatlining in the in the last part of the game. It was uh, a head scratcher and uh, totally inexcusable. So this was supposed to be Andrew Harris's re-coming out party. It looked like it might be somewhat of that in that first half. Uh, Chris Strebler, three touchdowns in the game. It was looking pretty rosy, and then Vernon Adams turned things around. But Vernon Adams was involved in a, an interesting play. On a play that I think you, I, Bob Irving, many folks in Bomber Nation saw and thought, oh boy, there we go. And you mentioned it, the Jeff Hecht interception. And yeah. on the return, Vernon Adams and Adam Big Hill were matched up. And Big Hill was blocking Adams. And I suspect that Adams not only was pissed off that he'd threw, thrown the interception, probably didn't like the fact that Big Hill followed him down the field the entire way. But that's uh, number four's job, unless you can correct me on that. And Adams took exception in a physical faction, fashion, pardon me, threw Big Hill to the ground, and in doing so, ripped his helmet off his head and then swung the hat helmet at Big Hill. Does this, uh, does right, this right connect in, in any referee, way to... Right? I call this... Yeah, court. right in front of the referee. Yeah. Does this in any way uh, explain or is it part of uh, what you uh, so aptly and eloquently call quarterback privilege yeah the reason we call it quarterback privilege because any other player any other position grouping on the football field anyone else does that and you're automatically ejected from the football game anyone else rips somebody's helmet off and hits them in the face with it you're instantly tossed unless of course you're the franchise player you're the quarterback and you know it, it's funny Adam Big Hill actually did Vernon Adams a favor. He could have destroyed him on that play. He, uh, but basically what he did it was a great block. He got his hands inside and he just started moving them out of the way. And Vernon Adams took great exception to this. How dare you block me on my, on my pick that I threw. And uh, when, you know, Adam Big Hill had every right to absolutely lay him out and, and not, uh, not lock into him like he did with his hands on the on the chest plate on the shoulder pads. He could have just uh, freewheeled and turned around and just and just blown him up. 
but he actually did a, a legal and a, a technically very sound block on this guy and he lost it. Like, you know, how dare you try and pick me up like this on a, and it was almost like he was angered by the audacity of, of a, a defensive player trying to engage in some level of, of physical play with him. And that's, and that's why, you know, he couldn't handle it. He was like a little kid having a temper tantrum <laughs> on the on the on the field and uh and like a uh, someone that's hysterical and, and losing their mind he grabs the helmet and he throws it at him you know tries to hit him in the face with it which is uh you know he should be suspended for uh, at least a couple of games or something you want to talk about potentially dangerous play i mean swinging someone's helmet into their face is uh that's as bad as it gets so It'll be interesting to see whether his quarterback privilege saves him from uh, extensive uh, punitive damages or not. Well, I, I'm guessing you think he deserves at the very least a fine. But let's carry on this idea of perhaps a suspension. Let's say he gets a two-game suspension, just for argument's sake, just for, just for fun. The Montreal Alouettes go to BC uh, Saturday, and then they host Calgary. October 5th, before coming to Winnipeg. Well, guess who is in a battle with Calgary for first place, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So how do you think the Blue Bombers would feel? Maybe just a single-game suspension. <laughs> there you go. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah. And, and, and perhaps Adams, if he, does get, if he does get suspended, might there be a provision where that suspension – uh, one of the two games, or even if it's a single game, be against the Blue Bombers. Because for all intents and purposes, if the league rules that this is a suspendable offense, they're more or less admitting they Adams should call. not have been in the yeah. game yeah. for the rest of that comeback. Yeah. And why should Calgary get the benefit of the free space on the bingo card uh, playing Montreal on October 3rd? Yeah, I mean, either way, I just can't. I can't wait till Montreal comes back to town and, and see the kind of response game that this football club should have. So obviously, they're very good at home. They're undefeated right now. They're gonna have their hands full with with Hamilton, and they need to uh, really restore and repair their psyche. I think from what happened, but um, if they can get back on track, wow, that that game that should be uh, they should be able to sell that one. That that should be people should be clamoring to uh, to witness that because that's gonna get ugly. And that's going to be some great football. If the Winnipeg Blue Bombers do not win on Friday night against Hamilton, is their season uh, officially uh, out of control? How, how would you categorize where they would be going? I mean, they have to win this game on Friday night on home turf, do they not? Well, you don't want to be trending in that direction, right? Obviously, come on, Doug, go out on a limb. You, you, you I don't come say on. they have to. They, I mean, they're nine and four. They don't have to do anything right now. I mean, if but they, they have to respond, they have to. Well, they have to have out. a response game. It doesn't mean they're going to win the game, but yeah, they're All undefeated right. at home. Uh, I, I don't have. I mean, Dane Evans is still a backup quarterback with, with Hamilton. He's he's done very well, but I don't I don't know. I'm not a big fan of of what he brings to the table. So I think they're very capable of of winning on Friday as long as things don't snowball and things don't manifest. But uh, you know that could be. They should knowing this football team, they're well over what happened on uh, on Saturday. But uh, that can. I wonder if, you know, sometimes that's part of the problem too, is that since every regular season game is only hmm. a game and it's over, and then, you know, maybe, uh, 
maybe in the middle of a game at halftime, you're like, well, this one's done or it's only a game or who knows, let's move on to the next. You have to wonder if that mindset can sometimes come back and, and bite you um, when you try to instill that mentality in your players that it's only one game, win, lose, or draw. We got to get ready for next week. This one's the most important game. You have to wonder if, if sometimes there's not enough urgency because of that. But uh, I, I think uh, this team has responded really well. They play really well at home, but by no means do I think everything is done. I think their goal to have a first-round bye and a home playoff game gets much harder if they lose against Hamilton at home. But uh, certainly um, everything is in front of them and, and every opportunity still. Okay, this game is uh, a violent game. It's an intense game. Uh, but it's one of brotherhood, and I just have to ask you, is there any part of you that was able to put aside what happened on Saturday and be really happy for your former teammate, the now head coach of the <laughs> Montreal Alouettes, Kahari Jones? You know, it's uh, I saw, um, I saw a, a clip on social media afterward akari jones in the locker room he was all broken up he was super affected by emotion and i was so i was kind of i was happy for him uh, he if anyone deserves to have this kind of success it's him and then i saw joe mack come into the the frame and and say something <laughs> and kind of ruin the whole mo and i was just like oh screw these guys i'm over this so yeah uh you know as long as it's not against winnipeg uh go kahari go just tell us just before we wrap this up. This for those that might not understand. What what kind of a leader was Kahari Jones? What what did he mean to the football club in 2000 through 2003 when when you guys won more football games than any other team in the CFL? Uh what kind of oh, he's you know he's super charismatic. That, that's always Kahari's thing. He has so much fun playing. It's infectious. Uh, guys look up to him. He just has a great time out there. He's got a great personality. He always enjoys himself, and he's a competitive guy, right? He's just he's very likable. Players love him, and I could see, you know, when you play with him, you understand that, and, and it explains the success he's having right now. That kind of uh, charismatic personality that uh, you know just uh, players find very easy uh, to vibe with and to play for. Well, I find it easy to vibe with you on the podcast, Doug Brown. We'll uh, convene again next week, and hopefully we're talking about a 10-4 and Winnipeg Blue Bomber football club as the Bombers face off against the Hamilton Tiger Cats this Friday, IG Field. I'll see you there, my friend. All right, brother. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.